We're going to talk about worry today, and so it seemed like the appropriate song. We're walking through the uh, uh, 23rd Psalm, and written 3,000 years ago. It's an amazing document if you think about it just from that perspective. But King David, um, the guy who became King David, was a shepherd, a little shepherd boy named David, and had this obligation, this responsibility to tend his father's sheep. And so he writes this incredible psalm that has comforted people for thousands of years, literally thousands of years. And one of the amazing things about the 23rd Psalm is people who are believers in the Lord and people who aren't still find comfort in this particular psalm. And so we're going to talk about one of the things that, that we struggle with in life is worry, or at least some of us do. And so if you're a worrier, today is your day. Because we're going to talk about what does it mean to not have to worry. Now I'm going to begin with a story in you may have heard it before, but, but um, just follow along with me. And, and then at the end, if you would give me a token laugh, uh, that really helps me, motivates me. So I'm, I'm going to give you a heads up. Uh, you need to laugh at this. Um, these two friends hadn't seen each other for a long time, and they meet. And it happens to be near a park, so they sit on a park bench. And the one friend seems awfully sad. And so the friend says, well, why are you so sad? And the lady said, well, listen, um, three weeks ago, an uncle of mine died, and he left me $50,000. And she said, well, that's sad about your uncle, but it's kind of nice. I mean, it's a blessing. She said, it, it gets worse. Uh, two weeks ago, I had a, a long-lost cousin. I didn't even know this person existed. And she left me $100,000, free and clear. And he was like, well, I'm sorry to hear about the death, but, man, that's still quite a blessing. And she said, no, it gets worse. I've got a, an aunt, and she died last week, and she left me a quarter of a million dollars. And the friend was like, okay, well... Are you sad because of all the death? Because really, that's a lot of money, and you've really been blessed. You said, well, it's already Friday and nothing. This week, nothing. I've got nothing this week. <laughs> this is where you laugh. Thank you. Thank you. I'll try to come up with some better material, because really, it's really not good. But the, you hope so. That's really... <sighs> Next week's message is going to be on how to be an encourager. Uh, Y'all need to know this. Truth of the matter is this, um, it seems the more we have, the more dissatisfied we are. And we are Americans, and we are just told that we need more and more and more, and it begins really early. Do you know that children, by the time um, they are uh, 18 months old, can recognize logos, and by the time they're two, they're asking for products by name. They see, our children today, see about 110 commercials per day. Now think about that in the, in the life of your child. And so we're training our children early to want more stuff, to want different stuff. Um, in fact, a couple more statistics. American kids get on an average 70 new toys a year. That's a lot of toys a year. They, make, they help influence decisions. L listen to this statistic. Children now influence $670 billion worth of parental decisions, include anything from snacks to SUVs. And... Uh, they're starting our kids off, We are maybe we are, it's our fault that they're seeing all this, to, to realize or to think that they don't have everything they need. Okay, so the 23rd Psalm begins like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some translations say, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters or still waters, he restores my soul, he leads me and paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. 
For you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, here's the problem I have with this particular psalm, or at least here's the problem I think we could have. It it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but I find myself wanting. I mean, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I gave him my life when I was seven years old, so he's been my shepherd a long time, but in the years subsequent to the time I gave him my life, I still find myself wanting. And I don't understand why, because this says that maybe I shouldn't be wanting. And then there's a verse in Scripture that's always troubled me just a bit. A guy named Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, who was persecuted for his faith, like very few people have ever been persecuted, he wrote this. He wrote this from prison, by the way. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I, if, I, if I ask for a show of hands, how many of us are content, and I'm not asking for it, but just rhetorically, how many of us are, can be content when I'm hungry or when I'm in want? Because i got to tell you, I'm not real good at that. I, I'm not good at not wanting. And I think part of it is just the American way. We have so much, and we're bombarded with commercials so often. I, I love taping shows so I can just fast forward through the commercials because I, it is just, I know, I mean, it's like good grief. I, I can't take it anymore. Um, I'm buying Geico just because they advertise all the time. It's like, i got to buy them because what else am I going to do? But, but what does it mean when... when When David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, what does I shall not want mean? Let's talk about what it's not, and then we'll talk about what it is. The first thing it's not is it's not a guarantee or a promise of God saying you're always going to be wealthy. You're always going to have stuff. You shall not want for things. It's not what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It doesn't say I shall not want for stuff. This is a picture, many of you know who it is, Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was a billionaire back when a billion was a lot of money. You know, he's back, back before everybody was a billionaire. He was a billionaire. He made his money in, um, he was a, a director of film, and then he was uh, huge in aviation, and he owned an airline company, and uh, just made, he made money hand over fist. And, and the American myth says, the more I, if I have enough, I'll never have to worry. And so I work and work and work because I know if I, uh, if I have enough, I'll never have to worry. Well, if there was ever a guy who had enough, it's this guy, billions of dollars, many years ago, when billions of dollars was a lot of money, and yet for the last 25 years of his life, he lived as a recluse. He, he, would never, he wouldn't even hardly go out. He would rent whole floors of hotel room, or hotels, whole floors. He would sit in one particular room with the curtains drawn and the lights off and just sit there for days on end. He was so worrisome that it caused stomach problems, and he would sit in the bathroom for hours and hours and hours. He was, had this, this fear that somebody was going to kidnap him or they were going to take his money, and so he just wouldn't deal with anybody. He wouldn't get out. And on the off chance he did ever go out, he instructed his driver to not go over 35 mile, miles an hour. He's still around here. He drives on Wade Hampton all the time. I see him. He's really he's here all the time. 
But he was, he was so fearful he was going to be in a wreck, if he came to a railroad crossing or where the road crossed over railroad tracks, he instructed his driver not to go over two miles an hour. So it really is a myth. If I have enough, if I have more stuff, then I'm, I'm going to be always happy. He was a germaphobe. He was always washing and wiping things off, and, and he, he just... The last 25 years of his life were horrible, even though he had these, he was so resourced, he could have lived any kind of life he wanted. He lived a life of anxiety, of worry. So, stuff doesn't make you not worry. The, the Bible never guarantees us wealth. Now, Scripture has certainly has examples of, of wealthy followers of the Lord. You have Solomon was the wealthiest man in the world at the time he lived. Um, David was his father, was certainly the guy who wrote this psalm, had lots of stuff. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea in the New Testament, very wealthy. You have people that are wealthy in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, and, and you also have people that are very poor. Elijah was very poor. Uh, uh, you had the widow who gave her two mites at the offering. Who, that's all she had uh, in Jesus' time. And Jesus was poor. Look at what it says. Jesus... Uh, and his disciples were walking along a road, and the man said to him, We will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but I, will have, I have no place to lay my head. He didn't have stuff. He just didn't. And, and there's no correlation between following the Lord and being wealthy. It might happen, it might not happen. That's not the promise that he's making when he says, I shall not want. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, there's a warning. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. You want to know what the difference is between a man who has 19 kids and a man who has $19 million? The man with 19 kids doesn't want anymore. That, that's the difference. That's funny. Get, go ahead. Think about it. That's good, that's good stuff. That's good material. Okay. You all are, I can't work with you. Okay. Anyway. I shall not want doesn't mean I'm guaranteed by God wealth, and it's, it doesn't mean I'm guaranteed by God health. Now, uh, does God heal? Absolutely. Can God heal? Absolutely. Should we ask for healing? Absolutely. Um, I had knee surgery a couple weeks ago. I asked for healing. It's doing great. I went to the doctor, and uh, he said, you can do anything you want to do. And I said, well, I don't want to do anything. And, and so, uh, but, but I could if I wanted to. It's kind of his point. But, but there's no guarantee in Scripture. Now, some people believe Isaiah sort of promises health here. Look, look at this verse. Uh, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we're healed. And, and some say, well, this guarantees that we're healed. But the very next verse, it, it wasn't physical healing, spiritual healing that he's talking about. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's more than one kind of healing. The Apostle Paul, he was, wrote some of this, the greatest uh, portions of the New Testament. He wrote these things. He was a great follower of God. And yet the Bible tells us that he had a thorn in the flesh. And nobody exactly knows what that is. But he prayed about it to be healed. And he wasn't healed. There's not a promise in Scripture that you're always going to be healed. In fact... Mortality rate on this planet is 100%. We, we all eventually die. It is what it is. To, to not prepare for that is insane. And I'm, I'm thankful that God healed me, and I'm thankful that God heals. I, I pray for healing, and I ask for healing for people. But I also understand eventually 
there isn't healing. Eventually, there's not. So it can't be, I shall not want, can't be about wealth and it can't be about health. And it's also not about perpetual happiness. It's not this notion that, hey, I'm always going to be happy. That God's always going to give me exactly what I think I need. Because that's not what it means. In fact, my go-to verse here, Jesus' own words, in this world you will have trouble. You live any length of time and you will end up in some sort of trouble. Sometimes it's self-imposed. Sometimes it happens to you. It's somebody else does something and it causes trouble for you. It just is what it is. And, And 2 Corinthians says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternity, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And you're, you're probably saying, well, now listen, my troubles aren't light and momentary. I've been dealing with this chronically for a long time. This trouble's been with me forever. I've had this for years. This has been going on and on and on. Understand something. It's all a matter of perspective. If you're born and, and you hurt and you live every day of your life and you hurt, in the scope of reality of eternity... Even that is a light and momentary time. Our little lives on earth, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life on earth, are a a blip on the scale of eternity. They are light and momentary. It's all a matter of perspective. I heard somebody say, we can look at this and we can say, it's a shame that rose bushes have thorns, or we can rejoice and say, it's great that thorn bushes have roses. It really depends on how you want to look at something. And so David looks at life and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Which means that he sees himself as a sheep. And this changes everything. Because again, we're Americans. Most of us are Americans. Uh, We uh, have been taught to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're taught to be independent. We're taught to, uh, we we don't need anybody else, especially men, American men, man. We don't need anybody else. And I grew up with John Wayne, and he he didn't need anybody else. And and whoever you grew up with, that's your hero, and he doesn't need anybody else. And that's kind of how it works. And yet David, who was this great warrior, by the way, he was a great warrior, great military mind, Uh, He was great in battle, but he gets to the end of his life and he writes this psalm. And as a shepherd, when he was a little boy, he looks back and he says to himself, The Lord is my shepherd. I'm a sheep and I need to be cared for. That's what the Lord is my shepherd means. He, He is saying, from the perspective that I'm writing from, I am a sheep and I need a shepherd and I need to be attended to and I need help. And it's really interesting to me that the Bible uses this metaphor of shepherd, or a sheep, sorry, as us being sheep. Because sheep have some tendencies. Here's the relationship between, uh, uh, between a shepherd and his sheep. A shepherd provides. A shepherd has to help his sheep know how to, to eat, where to go to eat. Because sheep just don't think like that. They're, they're not playing the movie forward. They're not thinking ahead. And so, if you put a sheep or a flock of sheep in a field, and you just leave them to their own devices, they will eat every blade of grass in that field, they'll pull the roots up of the grass in that field, and before you know it, that field will be dirt. Because they're not thinking, well, I need to conserve, or I need to... They, they just eat what's in front of them. So a great shepherd will take their sheep from this field, and they'll graze there for a while, but then they have to move them to another field and graze for a while. And there's a principle that says, hey, uh, these sheep... 
left to their own devices really tear stuff up. They really kind of make mistakes. And, and sheep sort of, they don't know what they're doing. Now, we, we think of ourselves sort of better than that. Well, I do know what I'm doing. I can't provide them for myself. Well, you, you might be able to provide for yourself for a while. But do you really understand this? Because this really changes things. Every breath I take is a gift from God. Every time my heart beats, I don't think about it. Do you think about your heart beating? I mean, do you say heartbeat? Because I've never ever one time said heartbeat. I've never told my heart to beat. I've never told my lungs to breathe. Except that one time I was underwater and I told my lungs not to breathe. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, it just happens. And every time it happens, it's a gift from God. Every time it happens, every heartbeat, every breath, a gift from God. See, here's what happens. I'm a preacher, and I know I'm supposed to pray before meals. I know I'm supposed to. Sometimes I'm hungry. A little hungrier than I am holy, uh, sometimes, just to be honest with you. So, uh, I'll say it, because I know I'm supposed to. And I wouldn't want one of the elders saying, have you been praying before your meals? Yeah, you know, uh, no, I'm just blowing that off. No, don't want that, because that wouldn't be right. So, I'll say a prayer. It goes something like this. It's probably as I'm chewing. So it may not come out well, but it, it sounds something like, it's kind of because I have a mouthful of food. Because I, I know I'm supposed to be thankful. But when was the last time you were really thankful for a meal? Because meals just come, right? They, they're, we just, they're just there. I go home this afternoon, and Miriam has food. We have food. I don't have to think about it. There's food. We have a pantry. It has a door. When I open it up, there's stuff. Even if Miriam doesn't make me anything, which she should, uh, even if she doesn't, I am completely, totally capable of taking the food that's in the pantry and putting it into my body. There's cereal. You want to know how much, how much effort it takes to eat cereal? None. You open the package and put it in your mouth. It's easy. And sometimes we're not thankful. Now, have you ever been to a place? I, I went to Tanzania one time. They thank God for food. You want to know why? Because food is rare. They eat the same stuff all the time because that's all they can get their hands on. I, I went to Tanzania and they had this corn mushy something and I'll con- I-, I wasn't thankful for that because I didn't even want that and these people thank God for that because that's what they had I was at this pastor's conference and they had, they had great food there that day they had rice and, and if I'm lying I'm dying it-, it was a mound of rice that was like a football helmet. I mean, it was a lot of rice because that was that's how you got filled up. And on top of this big mound of rice, they scooped some goat meat stew. Anybody ever have goat meat stew? It's something. And I was last in line. It was funny. I was last in line, and they, they ran out of utensils to eat with. <laughs> so they went in and got somebody's and brought it to me. To use. Somebody that was already using theirs, they brought it to me to use. And I'm ashamed because I wasn't thankful. 
the Lord provides for us. And we just kind of blow it off like it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. He provides. He also, a shepherd also protects. You see, sheep don't have a natural defense system. They're not even fast. And so if sheep are out in a field and a predator comes along, they're kind of toast. They need somebody to take care of them. David writes about his life as a young shepherd, and he talks about the fact, in fact, it was right when he was about to, um, to fight Goliath, which David and Goliath, that's, that's quite a story. But he convinces the king to let him go be the, the representative of Israel by saying, as a shepherd boy, I fought off a mountain lion and I fought off a bear because they were attacking my sheep. <laughs> And David was probably young teens. And I can't imagine as a young teen, if you see a bear approaching uh, your sheep, what, I tell you what I'm doing, I am running the other way. A lion comes along. Have you, have you been close to a lion? I mean, they're, they're like toothy and kill people. And, and it's like, I don't think I'd want that. And David knows what it feels like to protect See, a shepherd, when they took on the responsibility of keeping the sheep, if a sheep was lost, it came out of the shepherd's pocket. Those guys defended those sheep with their lives. They didn't have much. And God protects us. And he guides us. The third thing, he not only provides, he not only protects, but he guides. And we need guidance. And when I was a little boy, the language we used to use when you became a Christian was, you would say, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. He's my Lord and my Savior. He's my Savior and my Lord. And if we use the language of the 23rd Psalm, we would say, He is my Savior and my Shepherd. Because Lord means the one that you listen to. He's the one who gives you marching orders. And, and we, we sort of like the notion of God being our Savior. I don't really want to go to hell, so I'm glad He saved me from that. But I'm not certain I always want to let Him be my shepherd. I'm not sure I always want Him to guide me. And here's the thing about sheep. Again, the metaphor is perfect for people because sheep, they really don't watch what they're doing I read stories about sheep getting into water and they couldn't get out. And because they have wool, they drown because they get into the water. They get, they, they get really close to danger. They get close to a cliff and they, they'll fall off because that's just what sheep do. And I don't know about you, I, I can't talk about your life, but I know in my life there have been too many times where I got right to the edge of what I knew was dangerous. I just got real close. And then in, there were times I fell right off. I knew I shouldn't be here. I knew I shouldn't do that. I've been told this wasn't good for me. I knew better. I, I knew better. It wasn't I didn't have the intellect. I didn't have the information. It wasn't I didn't have the information. I knew. I just did it anyway. And how many of us would have a testimony? Well, I fell into this relationship. I, I fell into it. The reason you fell into it is because you got close to it. I flirted a little bit. Well, yeah, that flirting became an affair. I, 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 did, I, I took a little drink. I, you know, I did this. I knew I could handle it, but now I'm an alcoholic. I did, did these pills. I knew I shouldn't do it, but I did it anyway, and now I'm addicted. This is what happens. And, and so, and look, David isn't judging us. Dude committed adultery. He knew what it was like to walk too close. 
He committed adultery. He had the woman's husband executed. He knew what it was like. He spoke from experience. He needed a guide. I need a guide. And you probably do too. Because if you leave us to our own way, we have a tendency to wander. We have this tendency to go astray. And so, David's saying, hey, listen, this shepherd of ours, he, he provides for us, he protects us, he guides us. And the key word in the verse is, he's my shepherd. See, to an Israelite mind, to, to a Hebrew mind like, like David was, they talked about God sort of in terms of, he's our God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is our nation's God. He's the God of us. He's the God of all y'all. I mean, it's kind of how if he was from the south, that's how he would say it. He's the God of us. But, but David doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd. It's strategic that he says the Lord is my shepherd, and when he's my shepherd, it changes everything. Because now he's interested not in everybody, although he is interested in everybody, but he specifically is interested in me. And he is specifically interested in you. In fact, look at the 100th Psalm, verse 3. Acknowledge the Lord is God. He made us. We are His. We are His people. The sheep of His pasture. He knows us intimately. In a moment, we're going to talk about praying. I I just read a really interesting book, uh, The Good Great Thing. It's by a guy named Andrew Clavin. And um, he was a Jewish man who became a Christian. And he talked about the transformation in his life. And he, he got to a point in his life where he prayed. And he said, I just prayed. I knew God knew everything anyway, so I, just, I prayed real honest. And I'm not sure we, we pray real honest sometimes. Uh, we, we pray prayers like, Lord, I need a, a 6,000 uh, square foot home so I can entertain for Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, uh, never mind that really I just want a 6,000 square foot home. We try to, like, like God is fooled by that. He's really not fooled. And I, lo- I love what he said. He's like, look, I figured God do it anyway, so I was just going to pray honest. We might as well pray honest because God knows us anyway. There's a great book called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. My buddy Chris lent me his. It's by a guy named Philip Keller. Keller um, lived in the de- Depression era, and he became a shepherd. He bought some sheep, and he writes about buying these sheep. And I thought I'd read it to you because it sort of shows how personal it was to him. He writes, I recall quite clearly how in my first venture with sheep, the question of paying a price for my ewes was so terribly important. They belonged to me only by virtue of the fact that I paid hard cash for them. It was money earned by the blood, sweat, and tears drawn from my own body during the desperate grinding years of the Depression. And when I bought This first small flock, I was buying them literally with my own body, which had been laid down with this day in mind. Because of this, I felt in a special way that they were, in very truth, a part of me and I a part of them. There was an immediate identity involved, which 
uh, I'm sorry, an intimate identity involved, which, though not apparent on the surface to casual observers, nonetheless made those 30 ewes exceedingly precious to me. He named each one. He knew each one. He talks about in this book how each one had his own traits, and he would uh, shepherd them according to their traits. It was, if, if this one had a tendency to wander, he would do things to help this one not wander. Not all of them wandered, but that one wandered. You see, God knows us, and He knows what we need. I have a 12-year-old daughter. She's going to be 13 this week on Wednesday. And sometimes we have conversations, and, and Elise will say to me, uh, Daddy, I want, and she'll tell me what she wants. And sometimes she wants something, and it's okay, and sometimes it's not okay. It, it's not something she really needs. And so if it's not something she really needs, I'll say something like, I'll think about it, and then I go tell Miriam, and Miriam, I say, Miriam, go tell her that she can't have that. Because uh, uh, I don't want to be the bad guy. That's stupid. Um, God knows what we need. Our Heavenly Father knows better than we do. And I don't care how old you are. You might think you know best. God knows best. See, here's what we have to do. If I want God to be my shepherd, I've got to ask Him to be my shepherd. Guide me. I mean, you're my Savior. Yes, you are absolutely my Savior. But I really need your guidance. I need you to provide for me and protect me. I need you to guide me. Because here's what you have to do. We are sheep. and We need a shepherd. And even if we're the black sheep, we need a shepherd. And here's what I love about the Lord. Even if you're the black sheep, and you may look at yourself and say, Oh, God could never love me. You are wrong. You might say, I've done too many wrong things. I've done too many bad things in my life. I'm in the middle of something horrible. God could never love me, and you're wrong. The Lord is my shepherd can apply to you just like it applies to me. Just like it applies to any of us. But you have to ask him. If you want God to be your shepherd, you have to ask him. Jesus went through, listen to this sweet, this is, this is a kind verse. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because that's who he is. And you want to know what it means when we say, I'm going to make Jesus my shepherd. I'm going to let the Lord lead me. That means you stop playing God and you let God be God. Because worry is simply taking the place that God really should take. I'm worrying about stuff that God already knows what's going to happen. He already knows about it. Anything that happens to me is not a surprise to God. God has never one time said, ooh, I didn't see that coming. Never said it. Never going to say it. He knows what's going on. He gets it. We don't have to worry because he knows what's going on. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Three things here. A good shepherd knows his sheep. They listen to his voice. They follow. We can know God. We can listen to God. We can follow God. But we have to choose to do those things. Next, you start to pray about everything. This verse, by the way, these two verses, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, uh, according to Amazon, um, the Kindle version of the Bible, these are the two most highlighted verses in Scripture, the two most popular verses in Scripture. And honestly, this makes life super simple, really makes life simple. If you have a complex life, this can simplify your life. Really, it really was. I mean, I'm not overselling this. This really is true. Don't worry about anything. 
Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything you can understand. And you might say, well, that's nice. That's nice in religious platitudes. The guy wrote it. Paul wrote this while he's in prison awaiting execution. He wasn't in there for jaywalking. Now, it wasn't a guarantee that he was going to be executed, but it was certainly a possibility. If I'm in prison, possibly going to be executed for my faith, I'm not sure I write, don't worry about anything. Because I think, I suspect I might worry a bit about that. See, this is spiritual maturity. He reached a place of spiritual maturity. He could say, look, listen, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to pray about it. And here's what happens when we start doing this. Again, just get real honest with God. Just honest prayer. God, I have a tendency to worry about this, and, and I'm going to just I'm going to let you I'm going to give it to you because you know what to do. Uh, you provide, you you uh, you protect, you guide. I'm just going to let you handle it. I read about a guy recently who uh, owned a business. He was a manager of this business that he owned, and he said one night while he's worrying about how to make payroll and all that stuff, he he said he said I suspect my employees don't worry about this the way I do. He's true. It's true. See, God has this thing under control. We don't have to worry about it because God has it. And, and then we can take one day at a time. I don't have to be just amped up all the time, worried about stuff, because God has control. And one last thing about I shall not want. Once the Lord becomes my shepherd, I shall not want another shepherd. Because listen to what our shepherd, how our shepherd is. He tends his flock like a shepherd. God does. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. He holds us close to his heart. He knows us. He loves us. And he leads us. So the question I'm going to end with, I want to end with, if the Lord is your shepherd, what do we really have to worry about? If, if I make... The Lord, not just my Savior, but if I make Him my shepherd, and He's obligated to provide and protect and to guide, then what really do I have to worry about? Because the Lord can be our shepherd. You just have to ask Him. No matter who you are, you just have to ask Him. Father, we thank You for these good words written thousands of years ago that are so applicable today. Thank You for allowing us the opportunity to be your sheep. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for protecting us. Thank you for providing for us. Lord, we thank you for how good you are to us. And I pray that today, that today, if we've not made a decision to let you be our shepherd, that we would do that right now. We pray this and we, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.